Scott. Over Mertesacker and turned in by Koscielny. The two centre-backs combining and Arsenal, who need to win to ensure Champions League qualification, have the lead at St James's Park. Ramsey is there. Only football can do this to you. <laughs> Adding to Tottenham's agony, misinformation. Someone had spread news of a Newcastle equaliser. The news was incorrect. 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 It's as if they've just done enough Arsenal. It's finished at White Hart Lane. They've got their win. Right down to the wire. But you can see what it means to Arsene Wenger. Sickening for Spurs again to miss out to their North London rivals. Finished below the Gunners again, as they have done every year since 1995. Arsenal will be in the Champions League yet again. blog arsecast right here on arsblog.com how are you i hope you're well it's been a while since we've spoken obviously the summer has been arsecast free and i hope your summer has been a good one leaving aside of course all the noose preparing wrist slitting stuff we'll get to between now and the end of the show we've actually had some good weather here in ireland it's good we've been able to eat meat out in the garden i mean barbecue obviously i don't mean just taking chunks of meat out into the garden and annoying on them in frustration. No, uh, cooking it, obviously, first, sort of, and drinking beers and cocktails. It's been good from that point of view, and I hope you have had some good times this summer, whether you've been away on holidays or spent it with your family or friends, or, and away from all the, the madness, the day-to-day craziness that is Arsenal Football Club. But here we are, on the eve of a new season. It all kicks off again tomorrow, and, well... I'm finding it hard to put into words what I'm feeling right now. You know, when the new season comes around, you want to be up for it and excited and you want to be confident and positive and you want to look at our team and our squad and say, yeah, that is a group of players that have a real chance of winning the league this season. That's what that's what I want. I don't think I'm alone in that. I don't think it's an unreasonable thing to want either for your football club to try and do the, the best it can to prepare itself for a new season, looking at what it did the season before, identifying the uh, the places where we fell short, 
doing something about that, perhaps by bringing in new players, strengthening, emboldening, embiggening, making things better. That would be my strategy if I were running a football club. Perhaps there's a good reason why I'm not, but I'm just saying, that's, that's the way I go about things. So that on the, uh, the eve of a new season, heading into the first game, you've got a team that's better than it was. You've got fans who are excited and behind these group of players who have belief. You've got players who've got belief from the new guys that have come in because they've got a bit of extra quality or a bit of extra experience or a bit of extra pace or goal power or uh, goalkeeping ability or defending ability. You know, you're just stronger, gives you confidence, you know, makes you prepared for a new season in a difficult league, also with a Champions League qualifier to come. And if you get into the Champions League, brilliant. But that's a lot of football to play, along with two domestic cup competitions. That's what you're supposed to use the summer for. Particularly, I know this might be something that's uh, new to Arsenal, particularly when you've got a fucking shitload of money. Like, if you didn't have any money, you're having to sell off players here and there to uh, save yourself from going bankrupt, well then... You can accept the fact that your squad on the dawn of a new season is weaker than it was uh, at the end of the, the season before. But when you've got all the money that we've got, when you've got the resources we have and the infrastructure and the potential and the group of players who, who really could go on and do something if you added to that squad, to be sitting here now without any new players is bonkers. I, can't, I just can't get my head around it at all. At all. We've got injuries. Bakary Sanya could miss the first game. Mikel Arteta, some talk that he could be out for a month. And then you're looking at the midfield options. You're thinking, I, I love Jack Wilshire, but he is, in fairness, a little bit injury prone. He's only being played 45 minutes at a time right now for good reason, because he was, you know, knackered for about a year and a half. Thomas Rosicki, I like him. He's good. His hair, the outside of his foot, it's great. But he too has been a player who has missed a lot of time through injury. So if Arteta's out, you're, you're relying on two players who are a bit injury-prone, Aaron Ramsey and Santi Cazorla. And after that, what have you got in midfield? Uh, and the summer has been confusing in a way, also because we've had this whole Suarez thing go on, and uh, I'm not getting into that again. I've written far too much about it. I don't want to talk about it uh, to a, a great extent here, but I think it's probably dead in the water at this point, mostly because we got bad information. We were told by Suarez's camp that there was a release clause, and we went, whoo, bid 40 million and a pound. I got no issue with the pound. Some people think that's disrespectful. I think if you're told that uh, an, uh, an offer above 40 million will get you a player, you don't bid 41 million pounds. You don't just throw a million pounds away for the sake of respectability. And it's Liverpool as well. Fuck them. 40 million and a pound. Uh, the unfortunate thing, of course, was that one pound uh, didn't do the job. There was no release clause allowing him to leave for £40 million or above. So that was a bit of a, you know, fucking shambles, you'd have to say. Then there was the Higuain thing. I know you're bored of me talking about it, but you know. We could have had him. And even if you are one of those people who would have preferred Suarez to Higuain, and I know there are many of those out there, I bet you'd love Higuain now, going into the game tomorrow. He was on for it. We were up for it. Then Napoli got interested and, you know, 
things change. That's what happens in the market. If I want to buy that thing off you and I'm the only guy who wants to buy it, then, you know, you don't have much room for maneuver. But if another person comes along and wants to buy it, then it becomes a bit of a bidding war. So whoever pays the most will get it. And Napoli paid the most and they got the player. And all our efforts seem to have been this uh, summer on strikers. Suarez and Higuain, ignoring the fact that we've got two centre-halves, we've got uh, certainly issues in midfield, as I spoke about this. Maybe an issue at goalkeeper as well. Fabianski and Chesney can fight it out, but Fabianski, like Rosicki, like Wilshire, like a couple of others, is quite injury-prone. He spent a lot of time out injured as well, pretty much the whole of last season. So what happens if he gets a knock and then someone gives Chesney a kick in the knee? We've got Damian Martinez. So I don't know. I'm just finding it very, very difficult uh, not to be up for the new season because I, I think even the start of a new season in itself is enough to sort of, well, this is a fresh page we're turning over here. It's like when you decide, oh, fuck, a terrible weekend of booze. I'm, I'm going to stop drinking on Monday. And you turn over that new leaf. And of course, by Friday, you've got a beer. But, you know, it's, it's a bit like that, that there's this clean slate. But it's, um, it's hard not to look at where we are and be hugely concerned. And it's hard to look at what we've done and make any sense of it. There doesn't seem to be any logic in the way we've gone about our business this summer. Sort of flitting from here to there and not really anywhere. I mean, we're Arsenal Football Club with, I don't know, 70 million, 100 million pounds. And we can't buy anyone. I know there's... uh, time to go before the transfer window closes but the whole point of the summer is to get yourself ready for the start of the season not the end of the transfer window and now we could be on the cusp of uh, an injury crisis with Arteta and Sanya and maybe a couple of others what happens if we get an injury or two against Villa we're flying out to Turkey and you know we're going to have to rely on some kids who aren't ready to play and probably aren't good enough to be playing just yet if they'll ever be good enough That's not good preparation for a new season. Whatever way you want to look at it, however you want to, uh, if you want to excuse it, if you want to look on the bright side and say that there's still, you know, till September 2nd to buy players, situations like this are completely and utterly avoidable if you go out and you do your business well and do uh, do it early in the summer. That's what we should have done. Nobody will convince me otherwise at this point that we haven't missed a great opportunity to make a to make a real splash to make ourselves one of the big contenders for the title this season we've gone out and bought three really good players maybe added another one or two i think everyone would be feeling a, a lot different now obviously people would be confident people would feel like the club are doing everything they can to win things to build a successful team What we've done is dismantle a bloated squad. And that had to be done. No arguing with that. That absolutely had to be done. Getting rid of those players, uh, I think apart from maybe Coquelin was the only one I I would have kept. But that's, you know, that had to be done. And fair play and credit to them for doing that. You can look at Gervinho as somebody who made a contribution. But at the same time, you can look at Gervinho and say, yes, he made a contribution, but... Given the resources we have, given the money at our disposal, we could let Gervinho go and bring in somebody better. Instead, we've just let Gervinho go and not brought in anyone. 
we've made a transfer profit of £10 million. As it stands. And I just don't, for the life of me, understand it. It makes you wonder if we're completely and utterly incompetent or if there's something else. But either way, here we are, ahead of a new season, with fewer players than we had last time around. I like the group of players that we have, but I don't see them standing up to a full season. Arsene Wenger says we're going to be active right to the end of the transfer window. Why haven't we been active throughout the transfer window? Maybe it sounds churlish to complain. I don't think so. They set the expectations at the start of this summer. The club set the expectations by talking about how much money we had, by talking about our new firepower, by talking about how we could do this and we could do that in the transfer market. Very, very publicly, we spoke about our potential to do a different kind of business than the one we've been doing, operating in the 10, 12, 15 million pound price bracket. And you get good players for that, but you don't get great players really for that. Maybe with Santi Cazorla, we got a bit lucky. But this was the summer when we were supposed to go out and, and make a big statement to push on, to take advantage of all the work, all the financial work that's gone in, all the new commercial deals, all the scrimping and saving, all the money we haven't spent in the previous years. And remember, there has been money there too. Perhaps we've been saving it until this moment where we were assured of new, uh, of new income streams from our uh, sponsorship deals. But that's here now. This was when we were supposed to, uh, to do big things. And we haven't. And it's weird and strange and odd and frustrating and uh, illogical. And I don't get it. I don't understand it. In all the previous years, I've been able to see some kind of logic to what we've done or what we haven't done. Whether that's been correct or not, whether I've been off the mark, you know, in my own mind, I've been able to rationalize it a little bit. This time, no. Just cannot, cannot understand it. Not one bit. So, there you go. And here we are. A new season. About to kick off. It's just bananas. It really is. Well, sorry for the <laughs> uh, for the rant to kick things off, but there you go. I think I, I kind of had to get that off my chest a little bit. Um, as we're on the subject, we might as well uh, explore it all a bit further with our guest this week. I'm delighted to welcome back to the Arscast, Amy Lawrence. Hi there. Welcome to a brand new season. Are you as excited and enthused as I am? I can barely contain myself. <laughs> if I had said to you uh, in May, after Arsenal had finished fourth, having uh, beaten Newcastle, that we would be going into the new season, the eve of a new season, without signing any players and being ostensibly weaker. I, I'm forgetting Yaya Sinogo, so my apologies to him, but he was a free transfer. I mean, would you have thought that credible? No, uh, it's a straight answer to that, and even less credible um, from the moment that Ivan Gazidis came out with those very public, very strong declarations of intent. Um, that was the, the, the moment that teed up the summer. That was the moment that suggested that Arsenal uh, um, were ready to do what, in a way, they planned for. If you can want to go back long enough, this was probably what they planned for before Roman Abramovich. 
this was probably what they were planning for when they took the decision to leave Highbury, build this new super stadium that was going to generate fantastic income, the like of which was unequalled in in, um, in the game from a, from a match day perspective, um, from a commercial perspective, and was going to make Arsenal ready to take on any club in the world as regards players. And remember that at the time that they made those kind of decisions, Arsenal had probably a stronger team then than they do now as well, um, possibly. So it's it's a very strange um, situation where I, I, I think that it's possible that when Gazidis came out early on in the, in the summer that there was... Uh, 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 an inference that this was kind of putting it out there to say to to Arsene Wenger, come on, here we go. Because in the end, it's pretty clear the way that Arsenal structured that no transfer would happen without Arsene Wenger's approval. So I think with this very public declaration, what Ivan Gazidis was was trying to do was remind Arsene Wenger that because it, there isn't, you know, a caution that most people are very well aware of in the transfer market, that this was the time to throw that caution to the wind. Mm. And the fact that, as you say, Arsenal seem to be weaker now than they were on that day um, is, I would have thought from an Arsenal perspective, incredibly worrying. We talk about Ivan Gazidis just for a moment because, you know, that's a theory that many people will espouse, that he mentioned the, uh, you know, the, the transfer power of the club in, a, in order to put a little bit of pressure on, on Arsene Wenger, because um, perhaps he needs it. But is there not also, I guess, a fear that he must have that Arsene Wenger wasn't going to use that? Because I think we spoke before about how there was a, a feeling that he really should have spent in, in January and a desire for him to spend in January. And, and when you look at what he said, perhaps there was a little bit of a warning sign there because he was asked about Rooney and could Arsenal sign Wayne Rooney and pay him £200,000 a week? And Gazeta said, yes, we could do that. We could do more than that. He said, we can do mm-hmm. things which would excite you. But then there was this caveat, which was, but what excites you and me isn't necessarily what excites Arsene Wenger. Um so is there perhaps a hint that, you know, he also said these things so that people would be very clear, if nothing happened, that it wasn't through lack of desire, uh, you know, on, on, on the part of him or, you know, the people that control the purse strings of the club, but more the manager who is the man who, who calls all the shots when it comes to the football side of things? I think there's a, a very accurate perception Um and, and again, you know, it's 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 a it's a strange situation with Arsenal's transfer scenarios. And in fact, I was reminded only earlier today of how different things used to be. Um, we all know that when Arsene Wenger had David Dean next to him as his ally, as his partner, um, as as the man who could he would trust implicitly to do absolutely anything and everything that was needed to see through his visions for the club. Um, I I dug out an old photograph of Emmanuel Petit and Mark Overmars signing. It was a beautiful sunny day at Highbury. Um, They were out there on the pitch. I remember Petit was wearing a a powder blue suit (laughs) with an almost translucent see-through T-shirt, which everybody sort of sniggered about at the time. And, um, you know, uh, with his long blonde hair, he was quite a striking figure. And Overmars was obviously someone we were all very familiar with, and a, a terrific player who had had injury problems. It was a slight gamble, but this was Spenger's first summer 
as uh, Arsenal manager. Um, he'd already made the most notable, possibly maybe one of the most important signings he, he made in Patrick Vieira, which ha- had actually preceded him. Uh, Vieira joined um, while, while Wenger was still in Japan, but it was so obviously his signing. And then, but he didn't have a huge amount of input probably on that on what would be his first season because Wenger arrived with a couple of months of the season already underway. But his first summer, he spent heavily. He bought a variety of players, including the likes of Alex Manninger. Um, and these were, were, but the most integral parts were Overmars and Petit, who as soon as they slotted into that team, that was, you know, really what began to transform Arsenal into what would become the double team uh, of 98. So, on, you know, in his heyday... He was he was he had the Midas touch and he was not afraid to spend money and he was not afraid to take gambles in the transfer windows. Uh, and I but I think you know I remember that day the figure of David Dean was up in the up in the uh, east stand watching on with Petit Overmars down there looking like the cat that got the cream and th- there was this feeling then that the two of them are in tandem and the way that they worked it was very powerful I think it was very persuasive I think players were really really keen to um to come along everybody understood exactly where they stood where they stood with these two men when they talked football when they talked business they had they were like they were men who had a plan and a vision and a boldness and together they they made magic things happen mm. and i think when you compare that to the current situation you don't get the feeling that um that there's a, a great strategy, a great sense of everybody knows, you know, how to make these deals happen. Um, and I don't think it's a coincidence that when you look at what's happened this summer, it's, you, you end up inevitably tacking it onto what happened two summers ago. And nobody really needs reminding about what happened two summers ago and, the, the you know, the crisis and then the panic buying that ensued, which turned out to be mixed, but definitely some good things came out of that. But everybody knew that that summer was a calamity. And what Arsenal did well, and to their credit, and they got credit from it, was react to that and learn from it and do a heck of a lot better the following season. And last season, they were definitely much more proactive getting the business done early, bringing in the likes of Giroud, Podolsky, Cazorla. And... It's really worrying for an Arsenal perspective to see them regress again this summer. That's the problem. I think you can get away with what happened two years ago if you then learn from it and then you build on it this summer, which is exactly what everyone was led to expect would happen. But to actually have a summer that looks, in some ways, one you would definitely uh, link with what happened two, sum- two summers ago... It, Two out of three is really a problem. How do we how do we make any kind of sense of what's going on though? Because leaving aside the the, the point uh, about David Dean, uh, because I think it's it's obvious that Arsene Wenger sort of assumed the power uh, that that David Dean had at the club when when that sort of vacuum existed, where we were waiting for a new chief executive or a director of football that came along, and there was a couple of people linked. I remember at the time there was a guy from Celtic and there was a guy possibly from Vodafone or something like that. And we had Gazidis who sort of come in now and is sort of this guy in the middle between uh, Stan Kroenke and, and Arsene Wenger. And, and, uh, yeah, but, also, but also there is a difference that, that Gazidis' job, he's, he's not a director of football. Mm. He, his job is as much to oversee the business of the entire football club. I don't think he would pretend to be the man who is 
really responsible for transfers. I, I wouldn't be that surprised to imagine that in recent weeks he might have felt that the need to try and get more involved because the way things have been functioning hasn't been quite smooth enough to, to make deals happen. I think the Suarez one you have to take in isolation and it's pretty plain that Arsenal were led up the garden path to an extent by, you know, believing that this clause was a genuine clause that would secure Suarez for the amount that they bid. The fact that that turned out to be a lot more of a muddy situation um, has made it very, very difficult for them. So I think they felt that they were on track to make a major signing. You can argue whether that would have been enough anyway, but at the moment that's academic because that that looks like a, a um, an incredibly complex situation and it would, would take, you would think, sums of money even Arsenal don't feel willing to spend to... Um, to change the course of that at the moment. Mm. We're looking at, I guess, fundamental problems with the, the structure in, in that sense then, because, you, you know, we've got um, a manager who, who is fully authoritarian when it comes to to the transfers and what's going to happen and what, uh, what he decides. And, and, you know, from my point of view, I can't really look at this squad and I can't look at the players that we've let go, which I think is, you know, I think that's been good uh, because those the squad was bloated and heavy and, you know, we were paying too much in wages to guys who contributed nothing. But, I, you know, it's very difficult to, to, to reconcile the squad we have with the structure that we have. Is there a case to be made, for example, that, you know, a manager should identify the players that he wants? Um, you know, this is my first choice in this area, this is my second choice in this area, and then there's a team behind the scenes that goes and makes those deals happen within well, the I budget that's, that's available. That's absolutely, yeah. but but clearly somewhere along the line that structure isn't functioning properly. Now, I, I, you know, you, you people would be entitled to question, is there something with the scouting that's not quite making the right things happen? Is there something with the negotiating team that's that's the, that's a problem. Is there something with uh, Arsene's own decision making, where in the end he has to make the final say on any deal? Now it might be all of those things or some of those things, but you know all those all those aspects of of the transfer situation don't seem to be working well at the moment. You can't, you can't dispute that. Mm. And it comes back ultimately then to. To the manager, if we all, I think everybody pretty much accepts that Arsene calls all the shots, the fact that we're sitting here on the eve of a new season with no players signed uh, and actually $10 million in profit with the sales of Manone and Gervinho, I mean, when, when the chance was there for Arsenal to make uh, a real statement this summer, to go out early, to do business, to bring in the kind of player that, that would have made people sort of sit up and, and take notice. And, and the suggestion is out there that, you know, perhaps it's difficult for Arsenal to sign top players because, you know, they don't really have any top players at the club at this moment in time. They've got some very good players, but they don't have those stars. It makes me wonder, and I know people will roll their eyes to heaven when I talk about Higuain again, but, you know, when, when it was sort of uh, rumoured that this was going to be uh, pretty much done, 
everybody was really excited that we were signing a top player from Real Madrid at the peak of his career. This was seen as going to be a huge step forward, you know, for Arsenal in terms of the quality of player they bring in and the type of deal that they do. And that would then sort of signal the ambition and, and show other top players that maybe we were the place uh, to come to. Instead, we sort of passed that over when Madrid quite rightly, I think, looked for more money when the market changed and, and we walked away and perhaps it was a touch of, of the Suarez thing. So, I mean, it's just very difficult to try and make any sense of, of what we've done this summer and particularly what we've not done. Well, also, I think, you, you, you know, you have to react to what's going on around you. Um, and with that in mind, it, it, you know, the Higuain situation happened and Arsenal chose to walk away. OK, but I think Arsenal's decision on that was linked to the fact that they became aware of, the, of what they perceived to be the deal that would bring Suarez in. So you're, you can give Arsenal some benefit of the doubt if you want to and say, OK, they changed their mind on Higuain because they wanted to go for Suarez instead. Um, but the point is then when the Suarez situation changes, then what do you do? You have to have some kind of ability to think on your feet and be strategic and maybe change course. Um, and you just wonder what's the conversations going on within the, the, the training ground or within the, the boardroom or within the offices at the moment. Because at what point, bearing in mind it's been, what, about three or four weeks since it was obvious that the Suarez um, situation was not clear-cut. So you think to yourself, OK, what are we going to do here? Are we going to... Are we sure it's going to happen? Are we going to hang on? Do we think that we'll get there on transfer deadline day or whatever? Or, or do we think this might not work? In which case, who else can we get? And it's inconceivable to think that there shouldn't be any other targets or perhaps a different kind of target. They might, you know, a really ambitious club might say, well, we're still going to try our damnedest to get Suarez. And if it happens on the last day of the window, so be it. But let's get a 15 to 20 million pound or £25 million uh, sort of type of, of category of forward, there'll be at least an option if we don't get Suarez. And if we do, then maybe we've got an extra option. Would that be so terrible? Mm. But you just, don't, you just don't get the feeling that they're necessarily able or in the right space to be making those kind of decisions. And if you just sit there on your hands and kind of hope and kind of think something might sort itself out, well, life just doesn't work like that, not in this transfer window. Mm. I mean, the, the, there's the question, you know, are Arsenal just not capable of, of operating at this end of the market? Because I think it's, not that it's easy, but if you want to buy the top goal scorer from France who played for Montpellier and your Arsenal, that's pretty easy. And if you want to buy a German international as good as he is, but from a team that's going to be relegated... That's also easy. And Cazorla, if you're buying him from a club that's bankrupt and desperate for money, that's also easy as well, you know, as transfers go. But when, when things get a bit more complicated, we don't seem to have the ability, you know, to close off the deals um, well, in but, time. But then if the, if the personnel is not there or the structure is not there to, to do that, then so change it. Mm. You know, T Tottenham um, uh, brought in Franco Baldini recently, they obviously saw that there was something in their structure where they wanted to improve how they were able to operate on the, on the transfer market. And they've had a, an ability to go and buy the, the kind of player that a few people are raising their eyebrows about. And, you know, they, whether they would have done that without Baldini's influence, who's an authentic director of football with fantastic contacts and with a lot of experience, 
Um, Manchester City were perhaps the other team who have been um, uh, most impressive in this transfer window in getting that classic way of getting your business done early. Uh, they also have have changed some of the people involved in their operation and they've been able to tie up all the deals that they wanted very early. Obviously they have a different kind of financial power, whatever even Ivan Gazidis might want to say, but they still had the now to go and close all their deals, you know, way before um, the season started, allowing their players time to integrate. What what are the the players going to be thinking of this? Because I don't think we need to really touch on what, what fans think because, you know, there's just sort of general bewilderment, dismay, leading to anger and fury and, you know, all over the place. But but the players this season, and it became quite obvious that from mid-July there was a common theme running through through interviews where they were obviously asked, about transfers, but didn't sort of bat away the questions in a way that's that's sort of normal. That if a player is asked about a transfer, well, look, you know, you will wait and see, or the boss can do that. They, you know, a succession of them spoke about how much they wanted big players to come to the club. Uh, Mikel Arteta said it was about time that Arsenal showed some aggression in the transfer market. That you know the club deserved success, but they needed the players to come in. They needed better players to to help them win things on the eve of a new season. With with it, with the bones, I think, and I keep saying this, I think there's the the bones of a, of a good squad there. There's some really good players, lots of talent and potential. You know, how are they going to be feeling going into a new season, knowing that it's so, uh, it's pretty much impossible for this group of players. It's so small, it will not be able to cope with the rigors of a full season, Champions League, two cup competitions, uh, suspensions, injuries. I mean, they, they must be slightly worried about things as well. I guess so, and I think that the influence from so many of those comments, like you said, that Arteta said, is that they were under the impression that the players would be coming. They they must have believed that these marquee signings and these big players to take Arsenal to the next level were were going to be happening, and, and the noises that they must have heard from within the club, from... Uh, you know, Ivan Gavidis was a fairly prominent figure on the, the tour. There was a lot of bonding that took place on the uh, Forest in tour. I'm sure they spoke. I'm sure there was a lot of a lot of PR, and they were sitting there hearing everything that was being projected about what Arsenal were going to do. And why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they be enthused by it as well? So I think it's. Um, you know, it, it, it can't be the easiest thing for them. But there's another person that we haven't talked about in all this scenario, and it's probably the most important person of all, and that's Stan Kroenke. Mm. You know, you have to wonder how much the whole situation stems from the top, how much um, interest there is in what's in what's happening and in making sure that it's as good as it can be that comes from the top. Because if you're giving those vibrations down, if you're showing the interest, the enthusiasm, the vision, the dynamism, if you're trying to feed those sort of ideas down into the club and the people that you're directly speaking to, you're passing that to them and that's going down the, the, the chain of the club, then that can have an impact as well. He, he does seem content with the, you know, with the status quo. Once things are ticking over from a financial point of view, clearly his investment in the club is worth a lot more than it was. But uh, you know, the, the, the point you make is right that you know we don't have that figurehead, that owner who has a desire uh, 
to really go and win things, to push the boat out, to be ambitious. And Ivan Gazidis spoke about how ambitious the club were. But, you know, this summer has made uh, pretty much a lie of that because an ambitious club with the resources that we have, with the potential that we have, with the fantastic uh, facilities and infrastructure uh, and everything else, a really ambitious club does not go through a summer where there were no distractions, no World Cup, no European Championships, where the only thing that sort of stood in our way was, uh, you know, buggering off to to Asia uh, for commercial reasons, which is fine. I think we all understand that. But you don't get to this point in August, you know, just before your first game of the season without strengthening your squad and using all those resources available. Absolutely. Um, I, I just, you know, I think if there's one thing that Arsenal really need, it is that that message to come down from the top that Arsenal mean business. You get the message from Gazidis, but you, you don't get it from Kroenke. And if there are things within the club that aren't functioning properly, you know, in a major uh, corporation worth billions of pounds, you would expect that if things aren't good, that somebody can turn around to the big man at the top and say, look, we need to sort this out. We need to, you know, a, a clean broom sweeping away the cobwebs here. We need to upgrade this. Um, and I don't know whether uh, it's through lack of interest or through a fear that people feel they can't say anything. Or that, it, uh, but it, but if something's not working, you try and sort it out. But I don't know how much will there is to actually change things. People seem to be um, accepting of this status quo. All right. Well, look. Just finally, looking at the players. <laughs> Looking at the players that we do have, and I'm not trying to make any excuses for the lack of business up to now. I think it's pretty shameful and ultimately disgraceful that we haven't added to the squad right now. But there are three weeks, more or less, in which to to still do some transfers. Um, the group of players. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm genuinely not. And I don't, you know, if somebody came at this point, if somebody came in, I would be surprised because, you know, to my mind, you, the, the, the entire summer was there to do, to do the business. If you had a real will and inclination to do business the right way and bring in the right players, it would have been done before now. So I'm, you know, I'm just saying that it's still there. Um, and, and it was funny. I was looking at the. Uh, the uh, the sort of the Google Hangout I did with the lads last month, and I think it was Gunnar Holick who said, it's still July. I know we all wanted stuff done by now, but it is still July, and this time, which I, you know, got completely at the time, and, and this is the same thing. There's still time, uh, you know, between now and the 2nd of September when, when the window closes. Well, it, 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 there's still time, provided that the, the, um, the squad of players that are currently at the club can cope with the beginning of the season because well, that was you know, my there's question. points to be won and there's a huge important Champions League tie against Fenerbahce and if all goes well and you do strengthen before September the 2nd then that's hunky-dory but any kind of slips and then the pressure is going to be very uncomfortable. Mm, I agree completely. There's no hiding place. And um, it's, it, is, it is unfair on like, you know, a, a group of some very good young players with a lot of commitment um, who, you know, there's goodwill for these players because you can see that they're, they're really desperate to, to make strides. But you sometimes need a helping hand, and I think they probably know that, that they're going to need a, more of a helping hand than is currently in the squad. Mm. All right, well, look, uh, maybe we'll wake up and the transfer ferries will have come overnight and fixed all the shoes. <laughs> uh, we'll wait and see, but... <laughs> 
fingers crossed they can get through um, what needs to be got through until uh, some reinforcements arrive. Amy Lawrence, thank you very much. So there we go. Um, lots to talk about, lots to discuss, lots to speculate on. And um, while everybody might have their own theory, I think the one thing that most people can agree on is that this is a team that needs additions. And hopefully we'll see those sooner rather than later, um, even though I'm not particularly hopeful at this stage. Anyway, thank you, as always, to Amy Lawrence. You can find her on Twitter at AmyLawrence71. So do give her a follow. Now, before we get on with the final part of the show, a message from the owner. Hi, I'm Stan Cranky, and I'm talking to you today from my $48 million ranch here in Colorado. I wanted to reach out to you guys because I realize it's been a difficult summer for the fans of the Arsenal FC soccer franchise. I wanted to reassure you that we are an extraordinarily ambitious club. We're trying to win the league with 15 players. That's pretty damn ambitious. And does a club with no ambition set a world record in the summer for letting more players go than any other team that hasn't gone bankrupt or on fire? I don't think so. And look, you can bemoan the lack of transfers all you like, but I think you're being disrespectful to that guy we brought in from France. Yip, yip, no, no, go, go, guy. He's got that je ne sais quoi that Arsene likes. The quoi being uh, French for zero pounds, I think. I don't quite know, but I leave that in his hands. Another thing I'd ask you is if you could accuse us of lacking ambition when we're trying to spend more than 40 million pounds on Luis Suarez. We want him because he's one of the best goal strikers in the world. But not only that... People don't realize the other benefits of having Luis Suarez in your team. He has made some incredible technological inventions. I spoke with my good friend John W. Henry, and he assured me that Suarez could help our guys who get injured quite a lot. You know that. He said that Suarez has invented a device that can help the guys who have problems with the joint in the middle of their leg. His patented Negro technology could be the boon we need to keep those 15 players fit. Finally, people ask me about the manager. Are we going to do anything about him after so many years without a trophy? Well, I say, if you can find me another manager that's better than the one I have at making my share price increase on a weekly basis, then I'm happy to listen. Until then... Arson stays right where he is. Well, that's all I got time for. I'm sure we're going to have a great season ahead. I know. It's going to be a long one. Now, if you'll excuse me, I got to get back to my golden calves. They're, they're actually made of gold. I love them. Right, so, um, well, two games in a week. What a way to kick off the season at home tomorrow against Aston Villa and then a midweek trip to Turkey in the Champions League for a qualifier against Fenerbahce. I think it's fair to say that the squad could probably be in better shape. 
going into these games. We do have some injury worries. We obviously already know about Thomas Ramal and Nacho Monreal out injured. Yaya Sanogo, I believe, is going to be injured as well with a hamstring problem. We know that uh, Jack is coming back from uh, from his injuries. Aaron Ramsey missed the, uh, the midweek internationals, which should be fine. But the big news, I guess, is that uh, Mikel Arteta is going to uh, miss quite a period uh, with a thigh injury. Arsene Wenger described it as a slight thigh strain, but uh, reports this evening suggesting he could be out for four to six weeks. I suspect probably around three or four weeks will be uh, about right for him, um, hopefully sooner, because he is a very important player for us. He is the the pivot, uh, the, uh, the centre point of our midfield. He's what makes us tick and... Um, even leaving him aside, we don't really have the ability to cope with too many injuries just at the moment because of the uh, the lack of options we have in the squad. So you're looking maybe at a midfield of perhaps uh, Ramsey, Wilshire, and Rosicki or Oxlade-Chamberlain. Rosicki missed the trip to Finland. Uh, Oxlade-Chamberlain could play ahead of uh, Cazorla, who's uh, only arriving back as we speak uh, from Ecuador, uh, being away with Spain. So Arsene Wenger might not want to play him from the start. He could be fatigued and uh, who knows, another injury. Uh, But we'll have to wait and see. I guess he's going to have to take some risks this weekend simply because he doesn't have too many options. Um, That said, and despite all the um, the misery and the doom and gloom and, and the lack of confidence in our squad over the course of a season, I'm looking at tomorrow's game against Villa as one that this group of players can win. Uh, the performance against Manchester City last weekend was really, really impressive. Um, you know, this was City's full team. They put out their new guys. Every one of their new summer signings got a run out. And we played extremely well. Deserved to win the game. Caused them problems. Took our chances. Uh, you know, some of our uh, counter-attacking was really swift and decisive. We defended pretty well. The keepers, when they were called to make saves, did that and did that confidently. So I think we can be... Uh, pretty confident going into tomorrow. I don't think it's going to be easy. I think um, if things go badly or if we don't quite click where we may run into an issue is we we don't have uh, too many options in terms of changing it. Uh, so we have to hope that the team we put out can uh, can do it on the day. I think we're more than capable of beating this Villa side. Benteke is the one to watch, obviously, but you know I think they're a, a team that's still going to uh, have some troubles this season in in the Premier League. Um, Midweek against Fenerbahce, what can we say? We just don't know, really. We'll have to wait and see how Villa goes. But that's a game you hope we can come away with a result uh, from as well. So, uh, hopefully, by this time next week, we'll, uh, we'll have had a couple of good results under our belt. People will be feeling a little bit better and all going well. Uh, we might actually have some new faces in the team. So, this is it. A new season. Here we go. Come on, Arsenal. Talk to you on next week's Arscast. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye. Join us as we take another enchanting adventure into the world of the angriest man 
on Twitter. Oi, people having a polite discussion on Twitter. I'm going to interrupt your conversation, explain to you why you're wrong, and tell you why you should think the way I tell you you should think. And if you don't agree, I'm going to tell everyone I'm unfollowing you. Even though I never will. Next week, another madcap laugh-a-minute romp with the angriest man on Twitter. Everything is shit!